Hey, I'm David Greenwald. And I'm Thomas Nicola. This is Pretty Little Grown Men. Hey, we're back. Uh, so this is going to be a little in-between episode on uh, Tuesday, May 16th, because there was no new PLL this week. Uh, and we're going to keep it short, but we did want to let you know that instead of doing our regular podcast, we did one with our friends at Cabernet and A, Cabernet and A, yeah. another Pretty Little Liars podcast. And we've done a podcast with them before and been their guests. So we were uh, stoked to have a, a good conversation with them. And they talked to a lot of the PLL podcast verse. Uh, and I actually think, oh, maybe I should, there's only a few episodes left. I should probably like catch up with some of these folks and think about, <laughs> hear what their opinions are and hear some other podcasters. So I'm going to do that. And, uh, it would be cool for everyone to show some love out there. And I know we have listeners who do listen to everything. So I want to catch up with you also and see what's going on. Uh, but yeah, so we did that this week and you can check that out. And I think we had a fun conversation, a lot of lingering mysteries and what we'd like to see happen and went back all the way to like some stuff from season three that I'd forgotten about. So pretty good talk. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks to Chelsea and Sue for, for reaching out and having us as always bringing the PL podcast community together. Yeah. As they do so well, man, I was thinking that this would be uh, you just cracked a beer, That's right. a little beer noise on the mic. We were drinking throughout, uh, our conversation with the, the folks at Cabernet and a, so, I'm I'm a little bit more lit than usual. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's true. That's true. We'll see how this goes. We're going to try and keep it short. No, I had an idea the other day, and I almost want to email some writers about it. Like, somebody should do an article about, like, what is it like for people who podcast a show, who recap every week, and then it goes away. Right. You know? And there are really only a handful of PLL podcasts, and they're all really devoted, and it's people, you know, like us or Cabernet and A who have spent hours and years of their lives on this project, and it would be really interesting to read an article, I think, uh, where someone interviewed all of us and said, like, why did you do this? Yeah. What what are you what are you gonna do next? Are you gonna keep podcasting? Because it's like it's like the end of an era. And this is really the first time when podcasting culture has been around for something like this. I mean, I, there were like Mad Men podcasters. Like, mm -hmm. I know there are other shows that people podcasted that ended. I'm sure Breaking Bad, something like that. I mean, every uh, every sh every every popular show has its corresponding podcast, right? And I kind of I think that either you hang on for as long as it's willing to go, or you or you jump off. I mean, I'm thinking especially of one of the first. Probably one of the first popular shows of its kind was uh, was the X Files Files, right? Uh, Kumail Nanjiani's podcast. I don't even know if it's still going. I've stopped listening a while back, uh, right? But something like that, I think, is a different animal because it's going back to something that is done, so you know it's going to be a set amount of episodes. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not going to do this podcast for for indefinitely. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas, like, we've done this show not knowing how many episodes of PLL there would be or like how long we would do this or whatever. That's so true. I feel like that's kind of a different dynamic of like doing something while it's on the air and then having it end and then being like adrift in a way. I haven't even stopped to think about the fact that we actually have a substantial end point in front of us. Yeah. Yeah. The end of PL, uh, PLGM is endgame. And we'll never, we'll never speak again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. I think that that's something that we've, we've kind of talked about uh semi-realistically is what we're going to do mm -hmm. 
when the show's done. And I think we have a lot of ideas about stuff that we want to do. I don't think it's going to have anything to do with pretty little grown men no, or, or pretty little liars. No, but I, you know, I would obviously love to keep podcasting with you and come yeah. up with something interesting. For I think we have, do. I think we have some really good ideas. Yeah. Uh, fun things to do. In fact, I ran one of them by Rebecca, my uh-huh. wife recently, and she thought it was a great idea. Oh, okay. Well, tell me off camera. Yeah, yeah. Tell, tell me after we want to, we don't want to, <laughs> you know, give anything away. Uh, what else should we, talk about this week so one thing um well there's two things i wanted to talk about one thing that i think we haven't done in a long time is just talk about things that we like that we've experienced recently sure um but the other thing i wanted to talk about was this list on buzzfeed recently by uh sarah wayneshell oh yeah let me come over to your side of the table yeah uh and i'm gonna look at this with you because i haven't read this yet you can bring your chair over if you want Oh, something I should mention. Uh, we have a lot of you are new listeners to this podcast, and that's because, uh, well, there's like a mystery 100 of you who just showed up on my birthday, and that's cool. That was a nice birthday present of you, <laughs> people who came to the show on May 8th or May 9th. Uh, and some, if some of you were new and came to the show, I don't know why. So you should tweet at us at PLGM Podcast and let us know how you found us because I'm really interested. Uh, but also, mm-hmm. we talked about an article last time. We talked about an article on Teen Vogue. Right. Uh, uh, and, by a woman named D, and I can't remember her last name, but she... Uh, she tweeted about us talking about her. She did. And her tweeting about this podcast, I think, then picked us up another like 40 or 50 people. So if you are new to the show, uh, welcome, and we hope you like it. Yeah. Uh, So I'm talking particularly about uh, the BuzzFeed list called uh, by Sarah Wainshill called 27 Fucking Infuriating Things That Happened on Pretty Little Liars. Oh, I love this already. Uh, and it pretty much covered what's, what's so satisfying about it is it pretty much covers every complaint that we've ever had about Pretty Little Liars. That's awesome. And, uh, when I, I will say that when I brought this up on Twitter, uh, I was immediately attacked by Ezra shippers in a really gross way, uh, because it's like, they just forget that he is a sex criminal. Yeah. I mean, how can you, who could, who could forget? I use the phrase sex criminal and, uh, that, that triggered that, that was it's, it's, that, tr- that triggered some some snowflakes. It's it's it's, it's, a, it's a it's a factual <laughs> statement. What can I say? Um, so I want to go through this list, uh, not comprehensively, but to bring up the things that we obviously agree with, and it's really good to hear someone else point them out. Um, let's pick. Let's just pick our top five. So the f- number one, uh, which is the most talked about one, is when all the moms get, get wa- got wine drunk and some someone locked them in the basement, but they never showed us how they got out. Yes, that was a classic. So the a classic throwaway moment. The uh, the drunk mom detective agency ended up in the basement for some for some unknown reason, and uh, they eventually got out because. You know, we've seen Spencer's mom, especially since then. But at the same time... Well, Spencer's adoptive mom. That's right. right. Just have to say that. Now, you're not a real mom. Anyway, it's a real mom in her heart. Yeah, but as as Mr. Hastings has said, but she is your mom. Right, right. And Spencer's like... But yeah, no, the the drunk mom's detective agency. uh, I'm not mad that they didn't show us them getting out. I love that scene. That was one of the... that, That was like... A classic, one of the more uh, unexpected classic PLL scenes. So here's one where I don't, this is a thought that I had, but I don't think this is actually true. Uh, when Toby became a legitimate police officer, 
while he was still in high school. Now, I don't think that he was actually still in high school. Yeah, then he like he finished his he took his GR, his GED or whatever. Yeah, I don't think he was in high remember. school. I mean, he wasn't going to class. No. Like he definitely wasn't actually in school. He was building a house pretty much. That was like all he was doing. He was he was leaving Rosewood for weeks at a time in order to do odd jobs as a yeah, handyman. Yeah, he, he was working. He was doing carpentry stuff. Yeah, yeah, I don't have a problem with that at all. No. But Boom. we have we have com- Though, to the credit of BuzzFeed, we have, or actually Heather O'Halloran on Facebook, uh, he, there, there, there is some weirdness to the fact that he was basically like not even of drinking age and was becoming Went a to cop. police academy. Yeah. yeah. Kind of um, weird. Okay. Uh, I guess we are going to go through this, but we'll, we'll, we'll do it really quickly. Uh, number three, when Allison managed to become a teacher, even though she spent most of her high school career pretending to be dead. Right. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's and it's hard to become a teacher. Uh, I, you know, we, <laughs> it's we, true. It is. You have to really there's to teach high school or anything it's like really hard. there can be a lot of uh, courses that are um, you have to get the right degree, you know, or the right certificate. Like there actually is a really specific, difficult process to do that for for many uh, to teach high school in particular. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it is sort of. uh hard to believe that after like skipping your entire high school that you would suddenly be like well i guess i'm gonna catch that up within on- five years you could catch up not, not only basically uh earn enough credits to get your high school diploma but then go to to go to college and become a teacher right and to then get employed in a high school with which which you would have to assume that she would need at least a year or two of of student teaching. You know, this is something that we haven't talked about on the show. Uh but and it's something that the show has not really brought up, but it would actually be a really wonderful character development to have Allison have stayed and become a teacher in order to like recapture the lost time that she missed, that mm-hmm. the 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 sort of lost childhood, the lost teenagers that she had, yeah. you know, being out of school and not experiencing it and and it would be like a cool thing of her motive was like i want to give this experience to others that i lost and i want to be close to it or whatever and nothing like that has been articulated on the show at all even though it would be a really nice thing to include with her nope anyway just came agreed it just came to me number four uh and we don't need to comment on this but when they introduced a transgender character only to make her the villain and immediately kill her off yeah uh, yeah, no, very, that very needs bad. Needs to be said. We've said plenty on that. Very bad. Number five, when we found out Spencer's dad is pretty much everyone's dad. Yeah, <laughs> I mean he's not even. <laughs> there's a picture. There's also a picture of Mori Povich next to just next, next to uh, Peter Hastings. Oh, just for fun. This, well, it says you are the father because did you watch Mori Povich? Like oh sure, up? and yeah. Jerry, all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Jerry Springer. The uh, the, uh, the they would do the the paternity tests and, yes yeah. um yes no no comment on that uh peter hastings apparently uh there was a period in his life when he could not keep his dick dry when when and when women just threw themselves at him <laughs> that uh, would be an interesting maybe that can be the spinoff the pll spinoff is the uh the, the peter hastings wild years oh man make it like a desperate housewives kind of thing right Oh god, that's gross. It is. I it take, is. Gross. I take back that. Uh, let's let's pick just one more of our favorites from this one. 
Oh, uh, we're only on number six, but there's 27 of these. Well, yeah, let's just do one more. Okay, so uh, I just want to I I'm I'm gonna read a quick a few really quickly because I want them to justify the way that we've been talking forever. Sure. Uh, number six, when Ezra secretly start started secretly dating his 16 year old student. Hmm? Uh, let's see. Seven. Every time an adult male from Rosewood couldn't seem to find a woman their own age. Right. Huge problem. Number eight, when Spencer was a shitty friend and dated Hannah's ex. Now, okay, this is actually something I want to talk about. Uh, I thought they dealt with that very maturely. But I, what I want to talk about is the fact that here is a comment. So so BuzzFeed basically just like pulled a bunch of comments from uh, Facebook, social media, all dealing with Pretty Little Liars. Yes. And compiled them in this aggregate list. The fact that they, that they specifically word that when Spencer was a shitty friend and dated Hannah's ex, it takes all culpability from Caleb. Right. It yes. basically is saying that the ultimate sin is to date your your friend's ex. It's not for your ex to date for your ex to date your friend. Your friend. Right. Yes. Which is absolutely. so indicative of the way that the show deals with ships and the way that it placates its fans when right. it deals with ships. And it's totally internalized patriarchal like bullshit about Yeah, it's like Spencer Spencer like, the idea like Spencer the idea that hers. the idea that like Spencer stole Caleb from Hannah in some way. Right. Or, when or whatever. the the person who had the most agency in this whole situation was Caleb. Right. Like is is Spencer wanted to stay with Caleb. He's the one who went back to Hannah. Right. And then somehow Spencer is painted as the is the bad guy in the situation. Yeah, that's a that's I I don't like that complaint. But also like before the show had Caleb get back with Hannah, which we hate, the way that they that Hannah and and or that Spencer and Caleb got together it was like really diplomatic and drawn out and like obviously they didn't hook up in Europe but wanted to mm-hmm. but they didn't out of respect and then like right. when it seemed clear that they that there was chemistry like right. everyone went to Hannah and talked to her about it and it was like a whole situation you know yeah. so I thought and it had been five years at that point or not five years since uh, Hannah and Caleb were together but like. Mm-hmm. A period of time they had been broken up for a while uh spencer had nothing to do with it so like at that point if you were still like have your claws and your boyfriend from like three years ago who dumped you and moved away Mm -hmm. that actually seems clingy and weird and that was not really how hannah played it out so uh i reject that complaint also team uh spalib uh well no yes it's, well, except I don't like Caleb anymore. Well, he's been ruined now, but I thought their relationship was good. Yeah. But this is the same thing that happened on Gossip Girl, where I thought Dan and Blair actually made total sense as a couple. And then, of course, you know, Blair has to be with what's his name in the end. So it's like the same star-crossed lover scenario, even though... Status quo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which we totally... Uh... I feel like that's all we ever talk about. Well, it's, I feel like that's all I ever think about anymore with this show anymore is its return to the status quo, which, of course, we brought up on Cabernet Nay. Uh, well, I think that's... No, I think it's really important because something that, like, you were talking about on Cabernet Nay was like, okay, what are the characters' motivations? And in the absence of clear motivations, which has been a problem on the show, mm-hmm. how do 
the, how is the show going to pander to the needs or the demands of fans? Right. Which is like the other thing that can supersede that. And I hadn't really thought about it that way, but it actually, I mean, you can watch the show and that kind of makes a lot of sense. Hence, number 10, you skip number nine. Number 10, uh, when Paige tried to drown Emily, right. but they still ended up dating. Yeah. I mean, so many of the, the end game ships or the ships in general, like, have been extremely abusive and gross. And it's like, how do you not in a show that is about like manipulation and abuse and trauma, how do you not recognize the poisonous quality of also imbuing the relationships, which are supposed to, which are like seen portrayed on the show as like an oasis against this stuff, like us Mm -hmm. against the world, whatever. Uh, How do you not have a relationship that's healthy? Yeah. You know, or how do you justify these characters who did bad things in before the show jumped five years? How do you justify them like not being responsible? You don't. Yeah. You, you, yeah. You don't forget about it. Yeah. Which is gross. Number 12. When Noel was literally beheaded in a school for the blind, which is not in itself worth noting, except for the comment from Brandon Moore on Facebook. What up, bruh? <laughs> Why the fuck are there even medieval axes in a school for people who can't see? I don't have a good, I don't have a good answer for that. I don't have a good answer for that. Uh, astute. Um, uh, number fourteen. Every time the liars break into places or handle evidence, and they don't wear gloves. Yes. Uh, related. Um, when the li- number seventeen. When the liars leave their windows wide open, even though they damn well know they're being watched. Yeah. Uh, also, oh, this corollary is... or being listened to. Right. I. You know. I'm. I'm glad that we're going through this because these are all things that we complain about a lot, and so it's nice that these are universal gripes that everyone has with the show, and we're not just like picky voices in the PLL wilderness. Uh, in, still... in, the, in the in the you know the back lot where they film the forest scenes yeah and this is why this is why i wanted to talk about this because it feels like it justifies a lot of our gripes which are which i feel are often often are just perceived as uh cynical grievances when Uh they're legitimate gripes about the way that the show tells its stories number 19 we we love this show we want it to be good we are not watching the show in order to like make fun of it or to like criticize it or whatever we're recapping the show and if the show sucks that week we're going to say so Mm -hmm. you know or if it has these long-term issues like we're going to say so because we didn't think it was bad we thought it was good before you know so i yeah i think you know if you anyone who's listened to our podcast certainly the last couple seasons we have been more negative about the show than ever uh but there are lots of episodes where we say yeah that was a great episode or i like that or whatever and if you go back to the early episodes recorded before we got these nice microphones uh we were much more positive because the show was better true yeah uh but that but speaking of coming from a place of love number 19 Every time Mona, the best character in this whole damn show, correct, is ridiculously underutilized. Yes. Oh my God. Thank you. Yes. Team Mona. Uh, number twenty. Typical thing that we've talked about when Arya murdered Shana, Shana, and never got in trouble for it. Right. How about when Mona murdered Bethany Young, and it's just fine. It's just like a chill thing that happened. That's like the craziest thing that's ever happened on the show to me. Yep. Is that that got revealed in like two seconds and Spencer's like, oh, Bethany Young was bad. It's cool. Don't worry about it. And it's like, 
is she just not gonna go to jail for that? Well, that's like, the thing. Is like, is is are uh, they never gonna catch her? The response: uh, It's cool. Don't worry about it. Number twenty one. We talked about this on Cabernet and A. Whenever an unresolved plot line from an earlier season became totally irrelevant, and there is a picture of the uh, letter Ian, N-A-T forever, Jason, in in his yearbook. And uh, the quote from Brookay 28, the entire plot of the first few seasons with N-A-T legitimately makes no sense anymore. Yes. Uh, number 22, like when they completely dropped the storyline about Ezra writing a creepy book on Allison. And this is this is what led to uh, me taking this picture from this list is what led to uh, some arguments on Twitter about uh, Ezra being a sex criminal. But this screen grab, if you go to our Twitter, PLGM podcast, uh, you can see this screen grab. And it's the book that Ezra was writing about Allison. And it is not only bad writing, but it's fucking gross. I'm going to read you a little passage. This is the first sentence. The first thing Allison ever told me about herself was a lie. Lying was her oxygen. She could do it while she was laughing. She could even do it when she was kissing you. Yeah. Like for the for fuck's sake, she was fucking 15 years old. Ezra Fitz, man. Um, he's a bad dude. Let's see what else. Uh Number 25, when we waited five whole years just to find out that A was CC. Yeah. Um, eh. <laughs> and finally, this is number 27. And finally, whenever the liars receive a suspicious package and they don't fucking call the police. Oh, I know. <laughs> well, I, I think that the show has actually done a pretty good job in this last couple episodes of setting up the stakes of like here's why we don't call the police yeah because in past seasons there's been there have been long stretches where it's like you should call the police it's weird that you're not yep uh so i think you know there are things that the show despite i think sort of just being less good than it was you know in season three or whatever uh there are definitely things it has learned and things it does do better now and i think that would be one um (laughs) I'm going back to this list. This one's a funny one. When Emily got a swimming scholarship to Stanford, even though she low-key sucks at swimming, uh, in the comment, Emily's swimming is terrible, and she barely even practiced, yet she got offered a swimming scholarship to Stanford, which is one of the best women's teams in the country. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, moral of the story, good job, BuzzFeed. Thank you for this. Yeah. Um, good Sarah Wainshill, if you want to ever come on our show, we would be glad to have you. BuzzFeed staff member. Yeah. Um, I I would love it if somebody wrote a list of all the unanswered questions on the show, and I've been thinking about doing it and trying to write it for somewhere, but that would also require going back and watching, oh, at least like 30 or 40 hours of episodes. Oh, my God. Which I don't have time to do in the no. next few weeks, but uh, I would love to have a long list of, of that kind of stuff. And I think... The cool thing about the PLL fan community is there are people who treat it like lost and are crazy obsessed and like are going to have some kind of huge like map of the show once it's over. And I look forward to reading all that stuff because as much as I would love to spend the seven seasons of time to go back through and rewatch the whole thing and connect those dots, I'm just never gonna watch the show again once it's over. And, uh, actually, uh, Speaking of that, to segue into something else, which we had talked about we never do, which is actually talk about, like, what we do outside of this podcast. Yes. 
Um, I so uh, I write and edit primarily edit for paste magazine which i've talked about before um and uh i have brought up writing about pretty little liars to a number of the tv editors over time uh and the uh the tv editors are people who i respect deeply one of them is shannon houston uh who probably is not listening to this but hey shannon also matt brennan uh hey matt you are also probably not listening to this but he uh offered to run an article to wrap up the series when it's over which i totally plan to write i don't know what i'm going to write about at the whenever it ends but hating ezra look forward to a probably extremely overlong essay about pretty little liars on pace magazine oh my god i am completely incapable yes. of writing anything anything that is under three thousand words oh my god I, you should write you should write ten thousand and pitch it to the new yorker and have it be all about your pll podcasting odyssey oh man well i think that you should still write what you brought up but i think that was originally gonna be a pitch which is what do, what do podcasters do when they don't have anything left to talk about yes um which I think is a great idea. I think someone should. I, I'm not going to write it because it would be weird to write it about myself and do that interrogation. Uh, but I feel like somebody should. I don't know. Maybe I'll send some emails about that this week. If anyone is listening and is a journalist and wants to interview us, mm-hmm. uh, we would love to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was up in Seattle this weekend uh, for my job as the Oregonian music critic, and I was at the Upstream Festival, which is a new South by Southwest style festival started by Paul Allen, the Trailblazers owner and Microsoft billionaire and mm-hmm. a patron of the arts in Seattle. And he's really done a lot to help out uh, KEXP and to do the um, Experience Music Project Museum, which is now Mopop and, you know, really made a lot of serious investments in the community. And this festival definitely is that it was really well run. They had 300 bands, including, you know, many local artists from Seattle who I'd never heard of. Uh, and it's, you know, kind of my job to hear about new bands. So I was really impressed at uh, who they were able to get and the quality of the lineup and so on. Any um, uh, any new band that no one's heard of that you think we should be looking out for? There were a couple who were really special. Uh, one was this musician, Good Steph, who is like an R&B singer uh, if you like Frank Ocean, you would probably be into his work. And he goes back and forth between like really ecstatic, danceable, just joyful music and music that's a lot more somber and addressing political issues um, and addressing like pro- he's from Detroit originally. And so, oh, cool. you know, addressing uh, issues in his community. And so it's this really interesting uh divide or or going back and forth between like joy and struggle uh that i found to be really profound to see it performed and his record uh that just came out called melanin and that's excellent as well so he would be really my number one recommendation out of the festival uh and i saw the long winters who never play anymore who are like this classic i don't think they really do much of anything I mean, it's been like over 10 years since they put out a new album. You know what people might know them for? I think, I think, I think, I think. Uh, what's the name of the guy who's the lead guy? John Roderick. I think he, he, has, he has a very successful podcast. Oh, he also, I think he does the theme song for My Brother, My Brother and Me. Right. 
Yeah, that's a long winter song. Okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So people might know him. So people from, probably know that through the from through podcast. That podcast. Yeah. Well, but yeah, he's like, you know, I mean, they were like a lot of bands were influenced by REM around the early two thousands. I think the Decemberists were one and the Long Winters were one. And the Long Winters are like if the if REM was just like sweatier in a way. <laughs> no, like totally their songs yeah. are just super anthemic and put you know, give a lot of effort, but like are still very literary minded and telling really kind of intricate I clever saw them at Sasquatch about last time I went to Sasquatch was probably two thousand eleven. Oh okay. Awesome. Um, yeah, I, I just it was, the, it was the year that uh, LCD sound system was playing. Oh yeah, I think 2011. 2011. Yeah, yeah. I saw them. They're were, they're were really good. I didn't I didn't know anything about them, but I really enjoyed it. It was awesome. really pleasant. Um, well, yeah. So I wrote about that and took photos. Of course, I'm also a music photographer and took photos and everything. And you can check that out on OregonLive.com/music. Uh, and then you two happened to be playing on Sunday, so I stayed an extra night and saw the U2 concert, and that was also very good. And I wrote a whole long thing about U2. Uh, so that is all out there on the internet if you want to check out some of my writing and check out Dom's stuff on Paste as well. Yeah, the, the stuff on Paste I've been working on. Um, I I'm an editor mostly, so I uh, I've been trying to write more think pieces i recently went okay so here's something i did i went to the overlook film festival uh which was at the timberland lodge at the top of mountain hood um which uh film fans know primarily as the exterior of the overlook hotel in the shining which is where the festival got its name from it's the first year this happened and it was a horror film festival and it was fucking awesome and i hope it continues the only complaint that I've heard that is legitimate is that it's a bit too expensive for your typical um, horror film lover, which I totally understand. It's not an easy festival to get to. Um, if you want to get to it, you basically have to like book a hotel in the Mount Hood area, which is not an easy thing to do and can well, be you very could, expensive. Yeah, I mean, the ho- the Timberline Lodge is extremely yeah, expensive. I mean, the easy so thing if you to wanted do to stay to, there, right. you're spending 300 bucks a night or whatever. The easy whatever. thing to do, I mean, they, they offered packages, but you're talking about like... 12 to $1,500 packages. Yeah. Uh, it's crazy. And there's like a Best Western that's a little bit down the mountain. Um, but, you know, if you don't have a car, it's hard to get back and forth. Um, and I drove back and forth from Portland, and that was pretty exhausting. But uh, <clears throat> I saw a, a lot of very different, very fascinating movies. I wouldn't say everything I saw was, was great. Uh, in fact, I saw some pretty big stinkers but um there is a secret screening uh which i think is sort of like the the fun thing that every festival every genre festival has uh which is you know they don't tell you the like what this big crowning movie is going to be and the movie that it was uh was called it comes at night which is uh actually comes out about two or three weeks um and it's by a filmmaker named Trey Edward Schultz, who the only movie he's done before is called Cresha, which is actually on Amazon Prime if you have that. And I totally recommend it. It's a great fucking movie. He made it for like $20,000, and it stars mostly family members of his. And it's really harrowing and really beautiful, and it, it I fucking was crying during it. But he made this sort of like 
emotional horror movie. Uh, it's got a much bigger budget. It's got um, Joel Edgerton in it, who uh, has been in a bunch of indie movies. He was in Loving, which is nominated for a few Oscars. He was in Midnight uh, Special, uh, which is uh, by um, Jeff Nichols, Mike Nichols' son, uh, who also did... Um, what else did he do? Fuck, I don't remember. Oh, he did like a uh, mud with uh, with uh, Matthew McConaughey. Sure. Yeah. Anyway, uh, he, Jeff Nichols has been making a lot of good movies. Um, uh, and Joel Edgerton, Joel Joel Edgerton wrote and directed The Gift, which also has Jason Bateman in it. Um, it was one of those like smaller uh, Blumhouse movies, <clears throat> which Blumhouse is a studio that is now that uh, is a studio that put out Get Out. Right and uh, put out uh, M Night Shyamalan's last two movies. It's this horror studio that works on really small budgets, but it it uh, gives directors a lot of freedom. Um, and so the opening night film at this festival was a film called Stephanie, which was written and directed by Akiva Goldsman, uh, an Oscar winner who's who like literally like if you look up Akiva Goldsman he has had his fingers in every screenplay for every like m- big budget movie in the past like fucking 3 years or something like Transformers like superhero movies all, he's touched everything mm-hmm. uh but he 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 wrote and directed this like small genre sci-fi movie with Blumhouse and Blumhouse gave him enough money to basically put this movie together and so that's like the new like what what the overall thing that I got from this film festival is that a horror is the future of filmmaking because b studios are you can make a horror movie with a, a very small budget and you can make a lot of fucking money off of it right uh and so that's what like that's why Blumhouse is like rolling in the dough because I mean the perfect example is Get Out which was made for four million dollars and has broken the hundred million dollar mark yeah. And that was made by a comedian, an African-American comedian uh, who had a feature film directing debut that made over $100 million. Right, and like set a record. Yeah. For, yeah, that's, that's incredible. And as and because I'm a bad film critic, I finally saw it this past weekend, and it's, it, it's, it's as good as everyone says it is. It's, yeah. It's phenomenal. I haven't seen it because I have a baby. And so I've, yeah. I've missed like 30 movies. I don't know how seen. scary it is, but it's like, it's a good movie. Yeah. I don't, yeah, and it, 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 you might not think it sticks to the ending. I don't know. It's debatable. Anyway, uh, this movie, uh, It Comes at Night, is a wonderful, great, fantastic, scary, unnerving, emotionally destroying movie. And it comes out on June 9th, I think. And I recommend everyone go see it because it is fantastic. Um, and that was a secret screening. The director was there talking about it. Uh, it was the first, no one had seen it before this. We were like, that's also, that's, that's also really exciting about festivals like this. We were the first people to see it. Right. It was premiering at the festival. Yeah. That's like, awesome. He like, it's still like, he was basically just like, I'm still working on this movie. I still have, a, I'm still tweaking a few things. So it's not completely done. But here, it here it is. The, here's the working draft. Yeah, that's and awesome. it's also a twenty four. A twenty four is a studio that is putting out so many great movies, and they've won Oscars already, and they're going to continue to win Oscars. I think they put out Moonlight. I think they they put out Moonlight. They put out Room. 
Yeah. You know. No, they're they're doing really well. Anyway, that's what I've been doing on Paste. And I also just put together the top 20 movies of 2017 so far. Already? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, Get Out was our number one. Yeah. Uh, it get it gets a little it's it gets a little squidgy around uh, fifteen to twenty because yeah. then it's just because it's hard because you have all these critics who have all like are all over the country and they all they all go to all these different festivals like I'm the only one who saw it, it comes at night but it's mm-hmm. like it's my favorite movie of the year so far so right. it's like it's I'm gonna put it on the list a because I because I'm making the fucking list myself and b because it's just like you have to try to get this consensus it's what so this what no one realizes about these like critical lists is that you're trying to get a consensus but we're all coming from all these different perspectives so how can you get a consensus when you know five people have seen one movie and five people have seen another movie and they're all claiming that their movie is the best movie of the year right and so it's just like you know especially with movies it's a little different with music but with movies it's like i haven't seen five of these movies that people yeah. are you know, oh and it's just it's so much more of an investment to sit and watch a movie than to put something on on Spotify and play it on the bus. You know? Yeah, exactly. So I think it's so much easier as a music critic to like, you know, I routinely listen to 100, 150, 200 things mm-hmm. in a year, and that's fine. Whereas I see maybe when I was going to movies before I had a kid, you know, we would go to movies pretty much every week and then maybe watch something else in the middle of the week. So yeah. maybe you would see 60 movies in a year in like the best year, but that's like working pretty hard to see movies you know i mean i'm not if i was a film critic i'd see more i'm sure but it's it's you could listen to 100 albums in a year and not really break a sweat do you have a um so we'll wrap this up but uh part of working for paste is that i get to sort of dip my fingers into my old gig as a music critic and so i get to write about music every once in a while and i get to sort of put my opinion on them uh and so I had a, I had to come up with a list of my f- five favorite albums of the year so far. Mm-hmm. Do you have Do you have that list? I don't know if I do because I there have been a lot of things I've really loved, and then I listen to them for two weeks and then drift off to the next thing. Um, I don't feel caught up at all. Uh, I can tell you just off the top of my head some things that that's I fine. Ha- yeah, really that, liked. That's fine. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, I think um, that's all you can do really right now. Yeah. No. I mean, I should actually. This is something that I need to pro- I need to sit down and get caught up so I can do my list in my version of this list in in like three weeks. Um, I think the Kendrick album is really I Kendrick love Lamar I album is love excellent. That album. Yeah, it's great. There are a lot of tracks on there that I keep coming back to. Uh, I think it's he made something that was is very digestible on a track to track basis, but also has an overall story and an overall feeling to it. And it's just super impressive. Yeah. Uh, Do you have those are that's some dog action, some woofing, some woofing over there. Uh, the the new Paramore album that just came out uh, is like a huge departure for them, but they make it work, and I think it's a great album, kind of just on its own, forgetting who made it, because uh, <laughs> it's very like it's very '80s inspired, and even at times it kind of goes into almost like. There have been times when they when they threaten to sound like Coldplay, and this album I think goes into that a little bit more, especially in the ballad side, mm-hmm. uh, and completely gets away from like any kind of punk or uh, hardcore kind of sound. Um, so that uh, yeah, I've been listening to that this week. There's a folk singer named uh, Will Stratton whose new album is so good, and I think his best work 
And if you are into Nick Drake, especially, or Van Morrison, or any of that sort of classic, like, or or like Glenn Campbell and like country stuff from the 70s, mm-hmm. like any of that stuff, uh, it is a just beautifully performed and played record. Uh, and I really can, re- I, yeah, I recommend that. And there's a whole bunch more that I'm, I'm forgetting. Uh, Sid from the internet made just like a straight up classic R and B album. That's great. That I really love. There's, I mean, there's a lot, but I'll, I'll definitely, uh, come up with a better, more definitive list next time. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll give you the ones that I, that I listed, um, which have, have changed since then because I've been listening to the hundred waters. EP, oh yeah, which is so fucking. Yeah, good. I haven't even. I'm not even caught. Uh, but uh, Kendrick, um, the XX. Oh yeah, I love that album. Their album is so, that. That's a really great album. It's great. Uh, the new Freddie Gibbs album, which no one is talking about, which is but which is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and then. Oh yeah, the new Slow Dive album is great. Oh, I never got into them. It sounds. I love Neil Halstead's work in Mojave 3 and Solo, but never actually got into Slow Dive. So I guess I should listen to We went to and saw them last year. Oh, crazy. Which was really... Yeah. It sounds... The new Slow Dive album sounds like a Slow Dive album, which is perfect. And it's like... It sounds like they never stopped making music. Oh, that's great. That's and they're, they're also amazing live. But um, I can't remember what else I put on the list. Uh, oh, uh, Juju. The new... I think the new Juju album is really, really... It's one of their best. Awesome. Uh... I'm impressed by it. It's it's their last album was I'm not counting the Twin Peaks album, but um, or the Nina Simone album, but their last like proper song album without any covers or anything uh, was very difficult, and I don't think I liked it very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't remember what it was called, Red Red Classroom or something. Um, this new album is like it's the perfect distillation of what Juju can do, which is it's got it's difficult abrasive points but it at it, at its core it's a very pretty melodic album which i think that jamie stewart is capable of doing which is like writing melodic catchy pop songs yeah like he's got a lot of melodies in him it's just i think that he just like doesn't want to let those melodies out right yeah in any sort of traditional way there's, there's a lot of artists i mean if you read anything about pavement and about stephen malkmus like the critique was always that he could write these wonderful pop songs and like just didn't want to put them on records or didn't want mm-hmm. to release them and you know because of for didn't not wanting to be commercial or just not liking that kind of music, but having a gift for it, you know, whatever reason it was. But yeah, it's always interesting when you run into someone like that who can occasionally they have some perfect song and are so capable of that and not, they don't embrace it. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited to hear that. I have to catch up on that for sure. Uh, I think that's probably, this is a pretty, we were going to talk for 10 minutes. So this, <laughs> is, this is a pretty solid in between episode. We'll be back with more, regular PLL for our final run of episodes of this podcast, uh, I guess next week. Yeah. I think we're uh, back next week. Uh, and please, please rate us on iTunes. Uh, if, even if it's a bad rating, just rate us. We'll read, we don't have any new reviews, so we can't read them. We, we, we will definitely to. read them. You could sit there and insult us for 50 lines. Well, but... tr- don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we, yeah, we don't we don't want you to do that, but we'll still read it if you do do that. Yeah, we would love to read some do reviews, you. and it helps us reach more people. And uh, there are a bunch of new new folks who are listening right now. Hopefully, you made it to the end. Thank you. Uh, yeah, thanks for we'll, thanks for listening. Tell tell your friends. We would love. To, we think this podcast is pretty good, and we would love for a lot of people <laughs> to 
uh, to hear it and experience the end of the show with us. It's going to be an emotional last month and a half of the show of the show and of the podcast in a way. I mean, we've been doing this for a long time. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, and so, uh, thanks for listening. And until next time, I don't cry, cry, cry with us, bitches. I know what you're keeping, for you never tell.